Romans chapter 8, verse 14 is where we will emphasize and concentrate on. Let me read just the passage in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's it. Have you ever heard of sacred cows? Sacred cows. It's a term basically derived from Hinduism about how cows are sacred. However, what has come to be developed here amongst us is this. It's a term that's used to describe someone or something that is considered to have a status that allows it to be above criticism or questioning. In other words, don't question anything that I am saying to you. What I say to you, therefore, is holy and therefore must be accepted. Don't think so. Watch, watch the proceedings in Congress. <laughs> watch all those kinds of things. There are sacred cows everywhere. In other words, it's something that is regarded by some people with such respect and veneration that they do not like to be criticized in any way. Sacred cows exist in churches. Here are a few from church consultant Tom right here. Pews. Pews have become sacred cows in certain churches. They are stables in churches who really worship God. Single chairs are the instruments of darkness. Pews. If you don't think so, if you don't think so, let me start a campaign here to remove the pews in that auditorium and replace them with chairs. Watch what happens. I did that at one church, and we did a study that we could get 33% more people in our auditorium and we took out the pews and put in those big, soft, nice cushion chairs with cushion backs. The church overwhelmingly voted to do so, except for my senior adults, because they said I was now treading upon holy ground, and it was awful. You know that we actually did that. The reason we got rid of pews is because when people would sit in pews, you know what they did? Here, this here, stretch out and whatever, and you couldn't get everybody in pews because this was their space. You know, nobody get here. Pews become sacred cows. Order of worship becomes sacred cows. Thou shalt not move the offertory to another part of the service because the Apostle Paul instructed us exactly where it should be in the worship service. Right? How about flowers in the worship center? Okay. Both fake and real. Both clean and dusty. Often allergenic. Mess with the flowers in the worship center. You're messing with God. How about this one? Previous pastors, I've been in churches, I've served as pastor 20 years, 25 years ago, walked this earth as a near perfect person. The church member, church members have no memory of anything the pastor did wrong. They hold to the inerrancy of the former pastor. I followed a pastor who had been 23 years there at the church and was my very first pastor. 
He left on December 31st. I took the pulpit January 6th. And guess what? Business meeting. Well, Brother Joe didn't do it that way. Constantly. It was that. Constantly. To his, to his credit, though, he came back about three months later just to visit with people after talking with me and came in and said, you need to follow this young pastor. I am no longer your pastor, which I appreciate. Really did. I am going today to attempt to sacrifice a sacred cow this morning. A sacred cow that has become so commonplace, so ingrained in American evangelicalism that most Christians can't go. Most Christians cannot go throughout the week without using the term or living by the principles of its teaching. So here it is. Because most of us have been trained in this. So do not tar and feather me yet. So please. Listen to what I have to say. And if you disagree with me, that is okay. We don't have to break fellowship over it. It's just this is what I am taking on it. Because I was in this camp for so, so many years. It's called hearing God's voice. It's called hearing God's voice. You will hear words like this. God told me. I heard that still small voice. God gave me a sign. I believe I heard from God because I had a peace about it. And other saying to follow those teachings that God is always communicating to us, so we must train ourselves to recognize the voice of God. In fact, there's a, a book in my library called Hearing God by Peter Rohr who uses the illustration that his son-in-law was a brother doctor. Not an exterminator. Studied, taught, taught it at, you know, at a university. And he said there's so many different kinds of grasshoppers that you hear. And while he said standing on the front porch, he was identifying 47, 47 different species of grasshoppers just by hearing that he had been trained to do. So therefore, from that, he came up with this book and said, we have to train ourselves to hear the voice of God just like my son-in-law heard those grasshoppers. Folks, it's commonplace. It is commonplace. And so today I want to look at the scriptures because this one scripture, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, sons of God, are used by the hearing God's voice advocates as saying, this is God going to speak to each and every believer and leading them in details of their everyday life when they learn how to train themselves to hear God's voice. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, who is being led? Scripture says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? They are the believers in Jesus Christ. That characterizes the believer. They are being led. So, here's the purpose. Here's the thing. The term ago in the Greek is a Greek term that means someone is leading. But in this passage, it uses the word ago, but in a way that's called the passive voice. So you are being led. You are not 
front and the Holy Spirit behind, you are being led by Him, which means He is actually and actively leading the believer on a moment-by-moment basis. The Spirit of God leads us, brings us along to what we need to be doing. But what is the purpose of being led? I want to tell you what it is not. It is not speaking in this context, in this passage, of receiving personal, divine direction. This is exactly, though, how the hearing God's voice advocate used this verse. For example, some of you have heard of Priscilla Schreier. She's the daughter of Tony Evans. She was in the movie, uh, The War Room. Overcomers and all those other kinds of movies that are out there. She wrote a book published by the Lifeway and a Bible study for women that's called Discerning How to Discern the Voice of God. So what she says is this. He has not promised to lead us in a way that appeals to our five senses, but rather to our spirits. By the leading of the Holy Spirit within us, and she quotes, for all who are being led by the Holy Spirit are children of God. So as His Spirit speaks, personalizing His message in a vast variety of ways, we hear His voice inside us, compelling, encouraging, convicting, challenging, teaching, and guiding us right smack down into His will for our lives. Now, I want you to notice the statement that she says. Personalizing His message in a vast variety of ways. What does that mean? God can speak through anything, right? There's a book by Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels founded Willow Creek Church who was really the beginning of the super-sensitive church movement. And he said he just didn't have a good word from God. So he went out on his boat. And during three hours on his boat, he saw a can, truly, a can of Coors Light floating by. Empty can floating by. And he said, I hadn't heard from God, but I kept wondering, is God sending me a message through this beer can? So I concentrated on the beer can. And God knows. Right? But the point is, why was he seeking a word from God through beer can? What happens when we begin to start thinking about variety of ways that God is leading or the Spirit is leading, we can come up with everything that's going to talk to us or tell us that God is speaking to us. I told you a couple of weeks ago that I had a young lady that her grandmother was dying. She was sitting in the, in the uh, uh, chapel and a fly landed on an open Bible that she had there and it was the exact verse that was God speaking, sending, sending a fly to give her a word from him. See, if that's a variety of ways that we have to understand this, which way is going to be right one. Because if you look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, Long ago, at many times, 
And in many ways, there's a variety of ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. What did he do with the prophets? He talked to them. He talked to them audibly, yes. He talked to them through the still small voice, yes. He talked to them through signs, yes. He speak to those that were listening through signs, yes. But in verse 2 it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, to whom also he created the world. He spoke to us by his Son. How many varieties of his Son do we have? <clears throat> one. Just one. So in a book that published by Life in 2009, called, Is That You, God? Schreier says this, I don't know about you, but I want God's specific revelation to flow through my heart to impact my choices and path. When I say I want to hear from God, I mean that I need to know what job He wants me to take. I need to know what spouse He wants me to marry. I need to know whether He's calling me into full-time ministry or if He wants me to stay on my full-time corporate job. I need to know if I'm supposed to buy this house or that one. I need to know if I'm supposed to live in Chicago or Dallas. I need specifics. I'm looking for details. Dear people, I don't know about you, but I don't know how many of you may have had specific details when you were buying a house and living in Tarkenton and deciding to live in Tarkenton, was it all laid out for you specifically? It probably was not. How did you make the decision? What gets me about these kind of things, when we hear this, and there's multitudes of teachers out there teaching it. One of you know, you've probably been through it, and I have done it, and I have lived by it, and usually used, and used to use the formula that he used, Henry Wycombe, in experiencing God, I used the formula that he used in all the circumstances, prayer, Bible, and testimony of others, and what other people say, well, I have all these kind of things to discern the will of God. I even used it for moving from First Baptist Cleveland to go out to First Baptist West Palm Beach. And one of the things there is that the pastor would left, he calls me and says, hey, I need a student pastor. Since I called you to Cleveland, I believe it could be God's will that you're going here and get a word from God and let's confirm this. And I'm reading through the Psalms and it happened to mention palm trees. What's in Florida? Palm trees. It's not me what? Well, the pastor was called to first Baptist. The pastor calls me. I'm reading the scripture and talking about palm trees. Simon God. We're moving. We're going. And we went. I lasted 18 months. If it was God's will, why am I not still there? Thought? Because after a year, him calling me out there, he to do a specific position to develop it, which I started doing, enrolled in college again. To get my degree in, in uh, marriage counseling, he calls me in his office and says, Hey, I'm decided I don't want you to develop this counseling ministry anymore. I want you to stay in student ministry. I said, But you called me out here for this. And he said, Well, I don't want that anymore. Stay in student ministry. Well, I'm not called to stay in student ministry. I'm called to, to do this. 
I believe this is where I'm going at this point in my life. He goes, okay, good. I can give you six months to find another place. I guess it wasn't that I was hearing the word of God. But these kind of teachings, what I'm saying, is you're not going to look for this kind of things. Why aren't you doing it for everything? That's why I challenge people. Why aren't you doing it for everything? Why is it always the big decisions but not the little decisions? Like, for example, when you got up this morning, did you pray about turning on your lights? Why didn't you want to hear from God? Did you pray about brushing your teeth? Why didn't you pray to hear from God when not you to brush your teeth? You see, they don't get specific. If you want specific details, then they got to be consistent. And they're not. So here's the point. It's not speaking, when you're talking about being led by the Spirit, it's not speaking in this context of receiving personal direction from God. It's not being led out of trials either, tribulations and distresses. Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Tribulation. Yet, there are those in the camp that tell us that in order to be in God's will, to have this abundant life, to find a favor from God, and free from all the trappings of this world, we must cultivate our ability to hear God's voice, and in doing so, we're going to stay completely out of trouble. Not true. We will have true blessing. So what does it mean in this context? Here it is. The leading of the Spirit is the leading to walk in holiness. Think about what Paul had just said in the previous verses. He said, you're not going to fulfill the flesh because you are the sons of God. You are not controlled by the flesh. You are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And therefore, you're living unto God. Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8, saying the same kind of thing. So when he's saying, you are not of the flesh, you are of the Spirit. For what? You have this big, you're being led by the Spirit. You're basically walking in holiness. The Spirit of God will lead you to conquer sin, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. That is how the Spirit is active in us. B.B. Uh, Warfield, the theologian, states it well. He says this. He says, This new principle of life reveals itself in our consciousness as a power claiming regulative influence over our actions. In other words, leading us into holiness. That's what he's speaking. So if he says, if we consider our new life of obedience to the point of view of our own activities, we may speak of ourselves as fighting the good fight of faith. A deeper view reveals it as the work of God in us by Spirit. So when we consider this divine work within our souls, with reference to the end of the whole process, we call it sanctification. When we consider with reference to the process itself, as we struggle one day by day in the somewhat roundabout and always thorny pathway of life, we call it spiritual leading. Thus, the leading of the Holy Spirit is revealed to us as simply a synonym, synonym for sanctification when looked at from the point of view of the pathway itself through which we are led by the Spirit as we more and more advance towards the conformity of the image of the Son which God has placed in us. So, in context, being led by the Spirit of God doesn't have anything to do with hearing whispers from God. It doesn't have anything to do with this context. 
listen for this still small voice, so we don't find out all the circumstances accompanied by prayer, coupled with what others are saying, in order to figure out what God wants us to do. Being led by the Spirit is being under the control of the Spirit, which leads us into holiness. Now, the only other time that Paul uses that same phrase is Galatians chapter 5. Paul uses it in a similar way. So if you go into context, you remember the Judaizers were telling the Gentiles, you need to conform and you need to be circumcised. You need to fall back under the wall. And that's not what, uh, and what Paul was saying is, no, you've already been justified by faith. You've been set free from the yoke of ceremonial and civil laws in order to secure salvation. So Paul says, we are to walk in a newfound freedom in chapters 3 and chapter 4. And he gets into chapter 5, and he says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Again, we go back to Romans chapter 8, two types of people. We talked about this, the saved and the lost. Those in the flesh, those in the Spirit. Same thing in Galatians, two types of people. Those in the flesh, those in the Spirit. So in verse 18, he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, you've been saved. You're under control of the Spirit of God. You are the children of God. And so nothing in the context of Galatians talks about anywhere of being led by the Spirit means to receive divine revelation. As to which parking space we're parking, what job to take or school to go to or where to move. I promise you, although widely disagree, there is nowhere in Scripture that tells you that you must go to the University of Texas upon graduation. <laughs> you wouldn't hurt about that. But here's the point. Okay? Here's the point. You can't find it in there. So how do you discern it? How do you discern it? And we have been set up to believe that we have to have certain certain circumstances, certain things, certain confirmations from Scripture, what other people say, to be able to follow and find the will of God and to hear God's voice. But folks, here's the point. Can a person go to the University of Texas and walk in holiness if they're a believer? It'd be hard, but yes, they can. They can. You know, now they just went to A&M, they'd be perfect, right? No, 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 no. So, the point being is this, that God gives us the Spirit of God to kill the flesh and to lead us in all truth. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to give you another comforter, and He's going to lead you and teach you what I taught you and bring truth to you. So that is what he does. So how does God speak? Turn to the scripture where he has spoken. That is how he speaks. So if the scripture is true, which Jesus says it is, and you are being sanctified in the truth, which John prayed for in John chapter 17, you need to read through that again, then the Spirit of God 
will lead us into truth that comports with the holiness in our lives. In other words, Jesus says, sanctify them in your truth. Thy word is truth. What's the Spirit of God given for? To bring us into truth. So He regenerates us. He instructs us. He guides us in what? In holiness. That is what He does. That's how you're being led by the Spirit. Let me give you an example. Just real quick. Say you go down to HUD and you walk in and you take the last apple on the right and you're confronted with an angry person. And they start screaming at you that you took the last apple and that was their apple. They had their eye on it even though you had your hand on it. What comes to mind while you're there is you know Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away at what? Wrath. The Holy Spirit in you brings that scripture, that truth to your mind. And what you do because you're going to quote unquote love your neighbor instead of saying, It's my apple, and you start screaming back. Oh, if you really love this apple, please take this apple. What have you done? Holy Spirit brings to mind that scripture. You enter in the soft throne. You now have basically persuaded the Spirit of God that angry person. Now they can either grab from your hand angry, you're not responsible for that. What you're responsible for is to do what the scripture, the, the spirit brought to mind, answer this off way. But usually what happens, they will calm down. And they will quit because the scripture is true. That is what's going to happen. And so that's the way the spirit controls you. You're aware of that. You're being led into holiness. And Spoken. But I have met lost people and no lost people in my life that tell me that they just knew something, something inward was leading and that the stars lined up and everything fell into place. And then they use the word, I experienced some good karma. So unbelievers. And believers alive are saying these things fell into place. Oh, this, 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 and this. So we need to understand those guys. We need to understand this. We will get into highly subjective territory when we claim that we received a word from God. What is subjectivity? It's the quality of being based on or influenced by personal feelings, tastes, or opinions. But when we say in our experience we are constantly getting messages from God outside of the scripture, those messages are really subjective. Well, how do we argue with that? How do we argue with the person who comes up and says, God told me that you need to do this? How do you argue with that? Because they've just pulled the what? They pulled out the guard card card on Right? Pulled it out. Put it down. So therefore, it's come from them, so nothing be true. The question you have to ask is, how do you know, how do we know it was from God? Are they a reliable source, those little voices? 
MacArthur states this. He says concerning that. Experience is unreliable because it's always subjective. There are no means set forth in the Bible to test or prove or discern the meaning of some inner voice of prompting you may think you've heard or felt. In fact, Scripture never gives believers even the slightest encouragement to listen for private revelations from God. Think about this. We're in Romans chapter 8. For those who are being led by the Spirit of God and the sons of God, therefore you will receive divine revelation. You will receive words outside of the Scripture. Just watch for them in anything that you do. It's not there. Had that been true, had it been true that we're going to receive things outside of the Scripture, certainly the apostles would have written about it, but they didn't. He goes on to say, is there a reliable way to distinguish between the sound of God's voice and that of a demon? Even what a person hears or feels seems to match up with Scripture. It happen. How can he be sure he's not being manipulated by the light forces? Listening for ambiguous, mystical messages provides Satan with all the sorts of opportunities to tempt, confuse, pervert, and deceive Earnestly hoping to hear from the Lord doesn't mean you'll only hear from Him. That's enough to kind of frighten in the fact that are these voices from God? Or are they from somewhere else? So how do you safeguard yourself from relying on outside revelation? When we read the scripture, get this truth down, we are reading the voice of God. He has spoken. He has spoken to us by His Son. He has spoken objective truth. And Jim Osmond states well. He says this, the meaning of Scripture, scripture. The, meaning of, the meaning is the message. The message is the voice of God. When the meaning of the Scripture is rightly ascertained, the voice of God is heard. If we are all serious, at all serious about hearing from God, our chief concern shouldn't be tuning into frequencies, being still to listen for whispers, or divining messages from circumstantial signs, like palm trees. We must be consumed with understanding the Word of God. Our obsession should be the accurate handling and proper representation of God's truth revealed in Scripture. For when we hear that truth with the ears, heart, and mind, we hear God speak. It isn't my subjective impression of Scripture. leaves off the page that is the voice of God. It's the meaning and truth conveyed by the words on the page that is the voice of God. The meaning of Scripture is the propositional, objective, revealed truth. So in summary, here's the point. Being led is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Who's leading you to be conformed into the image of Christ? We'll get into that in chapter 8 a little bit later. He is leading you how? Personally. He is leading you personally. Okay? Each one of you are sons of God, children of God. He is leading you personally. But He is leading you internally because the Spirit of God is in you. And He's leading you to be holy. He's leading you to be killing sin. He's leading you to be walking in the truth. That's why John tells us in one of his epistles, he says, it just gives me happiness. It just gives me joy to know that my children are walking in the truth. So what 
being brought to my mind that I know so that I can respond in a holy fashion. That is what we talk about. If you've heard me talk about it since I've been here with you, you must be in the scriptures to know and understand God. You will not have anything brought to your mind that you haven't put in there. If you haven't been reading and digesting and studying the Word of God, the Spirit of God will bring it up to you so that you can walk in that because you don't have it in your heart and in your mind. That's why we emphasize the study of the Word of God, keeping it in its context. Learning what did Paul mean to the believers that he was writing to? What did Jesus mean to the believers that he was talking to and to the unbelievers? What did he mean in that context? It had one meaning, but many, many applications. We need to stick with that and not say that we have to have and we need outside revelation. If we get outside revelation, dear friends, then wouldn't it be just as inspired since it came from God as the apostles writing? Shouldn't it? If Seth comes up to me and he says to me tomorrow, Pastor, God told me that I'm going to uh, that I'm going to go to Hawaii and the church is paying for it. Shouldn't I then say, God told you? And he says, Yes, God told me. I have an infallible, inherent word of God. And I'm going to say, we need to add that to the back of our heart. That's specific revelation. Let's write it down. Pass it around the world. God wants everything to go to all that. And churches expense. Why is it? We don't take that into consideration, do we? People say, we've heard from God. We've heard. God spoke to us so loudly, so clearly. And therefore, we are. Why is it inspired? Because that's what he did in communicating to the prophets of old. That's what Peter told us. That's what he did to the apostles. And. That's what we better do if we say we've heard the voice of God. The voice of God is sitting in your laps. Right there. Black ink on my paper. Listen to what it says. Listen to what it says. Absorb it. Memorize it. Walk in it because the Spirit of God will lead you into all truth. You're being led by the Spirit of God to be holy. And that's what it means. Thank you.